Our scripture this morning is taken from the New Testament, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And if you're following in your pew Bible, it's page 86, if you'll follow with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will or the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart and who has made him known. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, it's uh, wonderful to be here with you today. Whether you're here in person or online, it's a privilege to be here, actually. I wanna start off by thanking the musicians. Uh, uh, this was really special for me. I think that's the first time I've heard live music in about eight months, nine months, and it brought tears to my eyes. So, so thank you, thank you for that. Um, as I get into this sermon, uh, uh, Pastor Rebecca uh, referred to me as a DS, district superintendent. Uh, I'm a, for those of you who don't know, a uh, ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. I'm a clergy person, and I work with uh, local churches all along the, the eastern border here of the, the state of Nebraska from north to south, and it's a privilege to, to work with pastors and churches in a variety of different functions. Um, and every day is a new day and a new experience and I'm uh, blessed and privileged to, to be a part of local churches in this special way and to be here especially with you today. We heard, uh, we heard the, the text from, from John 1, the first 
18 verses. And I, I read it over and over this week as I was preparing for this sermon and, and began to think about my own existence, particularly over the last several months. Um, is it simply to live or is it more? Is it, is it more than just getting through it? And I came to the conclusion it is about living. It is about surviving. It's mere survival for some folk right now, and I get that. But how do we, even in the midst of the struggles that are besieging us, how do we begin to think about life abundant, uh, a kind of life that, that it empowers others' experience to, to, uh, to, to know God's abundance and God's freedom in, in a very powerful way? As I, as I came to conclusions about that understanding, I, I began to realize I'm really struggling with the text. When I started to get into it and do the background work and how it was written and, and what it was about in its context and its time, uh, I became more and more uncomfortable. Rather than inspiring, it became, for, for a period of time, uh, unsettling, as it was speaking to me about ways that I needed to act and to be that were not always comfortable. Uh, to do what I'm interpreting it, asking me to do, brings great discomfort. And so as I'm uncomfortable with it, I want to invite all of you to be in the discomfort with me as well. Uh, the Gospel of John is written sometime after the, the death uh, and resurrection of Jesus. John is written uh, at a time when uh, Roman domination was present. There was conflict uh, that the, the early Jewish Christians were having with, with Jews and with the Roman Empire. And, and there was fear of persecution, of pain and suffering, or, and even losing this new movement founded in this understanding of Jesus as the Christ. As chapter one shows us, it's a, it's a vital time for the people. There's a, there's a concern maybe that the, the movement would not continue on. And they had to, they had to begin to talk about uh, uh, the, the real fleshy presence of God amongst the people. They had to bring God into flesh to talk about Jesus the Christ as God present to the world. God in Christ became then for the people, the embodied liberation of hope, for people bearing burdens of discrimination today, of threat of physical harm, and, 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 and as it was back then, it is now. And what makes me most uncomfortable with this text is the fact that it doesn't seem like much has changed for us. We only need to look at 2020 to discover the threats in the world, the things that are there that bring us discomfort, racism, sexism, violence against people on the margins in society, and the threat of the pandemic are about a few things that concern us these days. The threats seem far more abundant than the promise. And yet I have hope. I hope. And a lot of my hope comes from, from reading again and again this text from John 1. The ver first verse brings us back to the beginning of the book of Genesis in the Hebrew Scriptures. In the beginning. In the beginning. And it goes on to talk about Jesus' role as creator with God. 
God has chosen to reveal God's self in Jesus. God is reborn into the world now as God in flesh. And the Word was God. This begins to show us the meaning of Jesus and his relationship with God and with humanity. And this understanding of God's relationship to Jesus is one that will likely push us beyond our comfort zone if we really listen to the call and claim it has upon our lives. Many years ago, I preached a Christmas Eve sermon entitled, Savor the Moment. And I spent the evening talking to folks at that late night Christmas service about savoring the moment, enjoying it, keeping it to yourself, really, really relishing that quiet moment to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I'm okay with that <laughs> for a moment. <laughs> but what this text reminds me is that savoring the moment is not a way of life. It is but a moment. And it reminds me that uh, Jesus is child of God, and so are we. But just as Jesus as a, as a baby can cause us to retreat into sentimentality, that savoring the moment, we also have to remember it calls us out into the world in a new and profound and challenging way. John 1 asks us, to believe the promise for us is not only life and life abundant and full life, but it's also uh, a call to bring change into the world so that others, all others, can experience that same abundance of life. One person who spent his life, I believe, epitomizing this text from John 1 was the late Senator John Lewis. Upon his death, there was, as you might be aware, considerable television coverage detailing his life and influence as a politician. He maintained deep and abiding ties between his faith and his politics. He did nothing as a politician that he believed did not square with his faith. A leader in the core group that surrounded Martin Luther King in the civil rights movement, he brought his religious beliefs to bear on all that he did, both personal and political. And he also understood that being a child of God meant being a part of that larger family, being a part of an enfleshed God made known in Jesus. He was not, John Lewis was not about savoring the moment. His activism, his politics were about ending injustices in whatever forms they presented themselves. His work wasn't just legislative action. He also took to the streets. We're asked to do likewise. It's even in our baptismal vows. Think about that. In our baptismal vows, whether you as parents answered on behalf of your child or you were old enough to answer for yourself, it's that vow of do you accept the freedom and power God gives you? The freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Hmm. Wow, right there in our baptismal vows, our sacrament of baptism. Yet we can't ignore the fact 
that in the presence of that, those aren't just words. They are about actions. It's, it's verbiage. It's, it's verb. But you might be saying to yourself what I try to convince myself of all the time, and that is there's way too much. <laughs> I can't do all of this myself. I can't save this world. There are way too many things to, to address. That's right. There's a lot out there. I understand that no individual has the power to address or to care for all the problems of the world, but I, I remember and I have just never allowed myself to forget it. Um, um, in my third year in seminary, my final year as a seminarian, 35 years ago, <laughs> um, I had a chance to attend a, a wonderful course called Transformations. And a guest speaker toward the end of the course was a gentleman by the name of C.T. Vivian. Vivian, like John Lewis, was also one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s inner circle people. He, we just lost both of those gentlemen this past 2020. Like Lewis, he was in it on the streets, at the grassroots level, seeking change. C.T. Vivian spoke to our class for almost two hours. And I only remember about 10 seconds of it. <laughs> but what a 10 seconds it was. He addressed this idea of how do we, how do we deal with the overwhelming number of, of problems and injustices the world calls on us to care for. And he said simply this, you can't solve everything yourself. You can't fix it all yourself. And then one simple sentence. Pick your cause. Pick your cause. Hmm. Well, over the years, as I've never allowed myself to forget that one simple sentence, my cause has changed several times. And throughout the years, there are even times where I've become disengaged and moved away from it. And that kind of disengagement, I used to say, well, I'm tired, I need a break. No, it wasn't about that at all. It was about my relationship with God. What I was really doing was distancing myself from God. A God that was ceaselessly working, reaching out to me to say, stay with it. And it's those moments where I began to sabotage myself and my spiritual home. In, in one of those most profound moments many, many years ago, I began to have a series of, 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 of dreams at night. I don't know whether you recall your dreams or not. I usually don't, but these were very striking, profound, clear, detailed dreams, and each one maintained a similar theme. It was the destruction of my home, of my house, one by flood, one by fire, one by wind, and, and so on. It became so disconcerting for me that I sought out spiritual direction and counseling because I thought my life was coming to, to an end. I, I understood from, from a therapist that, that, that a house can be interpreted in a dream as your life. So was my life coming to my end? Was it falling apart in some way? What I came to realize was it wasn't falling apart. My life wasn't ending. But rather, there was a spiritual collapse happening in my life. 
And once I began to understand that it was more about me than blaming others or saying I'm too tired or I don't have time or whatever the excuse of the day would be, when I was able to begin to focus on the fact that this wasn't about an, the end game of a total destruction of my home, but rather a new house, a new renovation of me, of my spiritual life, of my ability to reach out to people, to embody that's that, that uh, verse 14 of this text, the Word became flesh and lived among us. I like the way the message version of the Bible takes this, that God has moved into the neighborhood. Pastor Rebecca used that in her sermon. I appreciate that. And, uh, and, and to know that we, we, uh, we, we live in a neighborhood, spiritual neighborhood, inhabited by God. God is a part of our family, a part of our flesh. We become then, in, in, our, in our faith and in our witness, the body of Christ in the world. It's a powerful notion. It assumes, at the bottom line, God's commitment and ceaseless working within me, within all of us, to live out into the world this idea of the Christ, the living God among us. So I'm asking you just simply a couple of things today before I finish. One, <laughs> live within the guidelines of the pandemic just a little longer, even if it means staying at home. Don't take the title of my sermon, Get Out of Your House, literally. I'm asking you to get out of that spiritual house, renovate or build a new one. Maybe now is the perfect time to do that. If you're stuck at home, to, to really begin to think and pray deeply about that. Talk with a spiritual director. Talk with your pastors. Find that kind of guidance. Pray. What I'm asking you to do this year, if it feels like your house is crumbling just a little bit under all the weight, seek that meaning. Seek that purpose. Consider that renovation or even building of a new spiritual house focused on the presence of Christ who long ago moved into the neighborhood, dwells in our homes. We're called to listen and to act and to go into all the world in his name. Blessings. Amen.